So today we are continuing in a sermon series that we've been going through for the past few weeks. Uh, each fall we carve out a handful of weeks to just kind of talk about who we are as a church. We, it's something like a vision series, um, but really all it is is just kind of like coming back to center. What is at the center of this church family? Who are we? Where are we going? And how are we joining God in the mission that he is calling us into? So if you uh, were here three minutes ago, uh, you heard our vision statement, which is this, that we want to be a church empowered by the Spirit for a purpose, to practice and proclaim the kingdom of God for the renewal of our city. And uh, a few weeks ago, we kind of unpacked that statement a little bit. What do we mean by some of these words? And then over the last few weeks, we've delved into these, uh, these core values that are the governing principles of everything that we do as a church. So a couple weeks ago, we had uh, my friend John Elmer. Um, he came and he preached about uh, how we are to partner with God, how we're to get God's heart for our community and join him in his mission. And then last week, Jace Schwartz brought the world's fastest sermon on formation, um, if you missed it, it was amazing. Uh, he taught us about Lunar Larry. Um, did anybody else think that he kind of looks like Lunar Larry? If you, okay. Especially since he's, like, gotten so jacked. Um, sorry, Jace, wherever you are. Uh, today we're going to talk about um, how we can sort of experience God's tangible presence in our lives. And then next week, um, our good friend Ellie Carlson is going to be preaching about our value for community. Um, but before we get into the, the presence talk, I just want to share some stuff that I've been thinking about lately re related to some of this stuff. And I'm going to preface this by saying that these ideas are like three-quarters cooked. Now, sometimes three-quarters cooked things are wonderful. Like a three-quarters cooked brownie that's like super gooey is delicious, right? When I was in high school, uh, our student store used to make uh, Otis Spunkmeyer cookies and like kids only wanted the least cooked cookies, like they wanted them super gooey. By the end of the year, it was like microwaved cookie dough. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Sometimes three-quarters cooked things are a little sketchy, like chicken. <laughs> and so today, I don't know, it's either going to be comfort food or it's going to be botulism or what, salmonella. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so don't take this as gospel, but like, these are just some ideas that I've been thinking about. Um, a couple of years ago, I got really into a TV show called Alone. Has anybody else watched this reality TV series, Alone? So um, in this show, uh, each season, 10 contestants are dropped off in like the remote wilderness, usually like somewhere in way, way north Canada. And they'll have this like vast, massive area where they drop 10 contestants spread out so that none of them will ever encounter each other. And the whole goal is to be the last person standing, the last person to quit. And, um, and you know, the adventurer in me watches the show and is just like, this is awesome, I wanna do that. And the extrovert in me thinks it's the worst thing in the world, to be alone in the wilderness without a phone for 100 days. Who could do that? Yeah, me neither. So, um, and, and so, so at, at the beginning of each season, each of the contestants is sort of like, introduced with a montage of their various survival skills. And some people are these really great foragers. They can find food in the middle of the wilderness that none of us would ever imagine eating. Other people are amazing at making snares and traps. They can catch their food. Uh, some people are great fishermen. Like, they can just take a string and an aluminum can and, like, catch salmon with it. Um, other people are great hunters. Some people are these builders, and they can make these incredible shelters, and they can make fire without any tools. Like, they just rub sticks together until the fire shows up. 
Now, in the early seasons of the show, contestants would often overly rely on their own specialties. So they would go into the show and they'd be like, I'm going to win because I'm a really good hunter. All I need is one moose and I'm set for 100 days. And then other people would rely on you know, their fishing skills or whatever else. But what, what, what you realize very quickly, the problem was that if you only trust in your ability to hunt or to trap, chances are you are going to starve and quit, quit very quickly. In order to be successful, you need to have sort of a rounded out set of skills. You need to be able to do all of the wilderness survival stuff because circumstances will call for different types of skills in different times. You can't be a one-dimensional person and be successful with all of the different kinds of trials that hit while you're out there. And at some point, your weaknesses, your deficits are going to be exposed. The one exception to the rule, okay, run it out for a second. There was one guy, his name was Biko. He almost won because he was like 85 pounds overweight. That was it. Like that was his main skill and he was weird. That was it. He almost won. From Otis, Oregon, that's right, local guy, hometown hero. <laughs> now, I've spent most of my life in like American uh, charismatic church world, and what is typical of most churches is to identify some core like expressions of the Christian life, and then to build programs for each of the values or these expressions. And, and that actually is not a bad idea. If you identify like, okay, this is the kind of stuff that's important for a Christian life, we're gonna build programs that help shore up people so that they can become good Christians. Like, that's a great idea. But then because American church world is often catering to sort of half-committed consumerist culture, people then expect to like look at a buffet of options and then to pick programs a la carte to make up their own personal experience of sort of a well-rounded Christian life. Grab a little bit of presence, you know, maybe a scoop of formation, toss in some community, have mission for dessert. You've got the balanced diet right there. And that's the world that we live in. But here at the Vineyard, we're convinced that these four are more than just good-sounding value words. We actually believe that these four values that you see up here on the screen, presence, formation, community, and mission, that they are core to what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the world. The Christian life isn't just about sort of like a smattering of a little bit of each of these things. The life of a disciple is actually ongoing integration of these four things so that they're no longer sort of like a smorgasbord of I'm going to do mission, then now I'm going to go to my other space to do formation, but to see that these things start to connect with each other. Now, for most people, as you begin walking your Christian faith out, it starts as taking a little bit from each category because you just need a place to start. So you'll go to a worship night to experience God's presence once a quarter. Or maybe you'll sign up for a life group or you'll go to a, an after hours like a, like a happy hour kind of thing uh, to get some community. Then you'll, you'll go online, you'll watch a Bible project video that helps you to kind of learn how to read the Bible and start some first steps towards formation. And then you sign up to be a part of an outreach or you make a Thanksgiving meal box for a family in need or something like that and you to, to sort of take some first steps in joining God in his mission. And all of these are really great things to do. But as we commit to doing them over time, these will, start to be, these will begin to sort of connect and integrate with each other. And you'll find that, your experience, that you'll experience deeper formation as you commit to showing up to the same people week after week in community. 
that you'll find that as you give yourself to worship and prayer, especially in a gathered sense with other Christians, it naturally propels us into mission because we start to get God's heart for what he cares about in our world. And it pushes us outward to reach the lost, to serve the poor, to care for those who are in need. But as we grow and we develop in our walks with Jesus, none of us will naturally arrive at sort of like a perfectly balanced, totally integrated way of living our faith, which is totally normal. Because a lot of this has to do with our personality makeup, things that we have preferences for. Some of these things will be determined by what kind of church that we've been a part of and what do they emphasize and care about. Some of us will be naturally oriented towards community, while other people will have this activist bent towards mission. And guess what? I actually believe that this is not a liability, it's an asset. I believe that this is a strength and not a weakness. But it's only a strength in as much as we are committed to doing this together. Because here's the thing, the church doesn't exist to take sort of the raw, unformed material of each of our lives and then stamp us into this perfectly balanced mold of the, quote, ideal Christian. Because who can even really say what that ideal Christian looks like, right? And you can say Jesus, but Jesus wasn't a woman. Jesus didn't live in America. Like, there's a lot about Jesus' life that we would say we have to kind of fill in those gaps. So... So the church doesn't exist only to provide you what you need to become a good Christian. Like, that's not the point of this thing. And as American Christians, many of us have been taught to approach our spiritual life with the goal of me individually becoming conformed more to Jesus. Like, my whole reason for pursuing this spiritual life thing is so that I can become a little more fulfilled, a little more holy, a little bit better at being a Christian. But the Spirit's mission in the world has actually been to birth Jesus-like communities across the earth. That's his goal. The goal of the Old Testament was to create a community called Israel that stood apart from the world and pointed people to Yahweh. The preaching of the gospel in the New Testament was to form churches that were scattered across the ancient world that would look just like Jesus in each of their contexts. So the goal of the church is not to perfectly conform each person into a specific mold, totally balanced, totally uniform, totally figured out. No, the goal of the church is to collectively live out these four elements of life with Jesus and to do it together. It's to take each of our misshapen lives and to knit them together into a tapestry of kingdom living, where each of us brings something important and unique to the tapestry. So how are we going to live out our values? Like, how are we going to actually live out our principles? Not through programs, but through people. It's the activist and the intercessor and the mystic and the Bible nerd and the connector, all sharing life so that we influence one another's formation and so that we can share in the big mission that God has called us to, which is to practice and proclaim the kingdom of God for the renewal of this community that we live in all by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, integration in our lives isn't going to come from a balanced schedule of activities. It actually flows from a committed people collectively living toward Jesus and his kingdom. How are we doing? Still with me? More or less? Okay. Is it chicken or 
Cookies? Okay. And at times, we're going to feel unbalanced. Like as a church, not just as individuals. There are going to be times where our church feels like we are unbalanced. There will be seasons where Jesus calls us into deeper formation together. There are times when the, when the harvest is right out there in front of us, and it is time to roll up our sleeves and just get to work with God and his mission. And then sometimes he is going to call us to pause everything that we're doing to gather together in his presence and just seek him in worship and in prayer. And then there are going to be other times where God's just going to say, you know what, you guys need to just connect. You need to be together and build these relationships. But in all of these things, we will be integrated, even if at times unbalanced, because we have each other. Right? And this is like designed into our calendar. Most of you probably are not aware of the fact that every winter, right after Christmas time, we intentionally focus on tooling our people up with practices of formation, right? Did you guys know that? And that there are times in, um, in the spring where we kind of like dial it back. We lean into just sort of practicing what the Holy Spirit is doing and leaning into sort of the charismatic expression in our church. Every fall, we really press into coming back to who we are as a church and, and pressing towards the mission that God has given us. We build it into our calendar. Now, each of us are called by God to live into these four, and that there are times where we will all experience levels of unbalance, but we are to also spend our lives striving to press in to every single one of them. And so while we may not be balanced, we also don't want to be deficient in anything, right? Like, have you guys ever seen those guys at the gym that, like, have the huge chest and shoulders and arms, and their legs are, like, this skinny? That's a deficiency. That's a problem. That is evolutionarily problematic, and they would die from a saber-toothed tiger, okay? <laughs> Part of what it means to be a Christian that continues to grow over <clears throat> a lifetime is to pay attention to the gaps in our Christianity, and that's what it means for us to become mature. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes this. He says, he, meaning Jesus, is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The life of a mature Christian will, will require the integration of all four of these things, experienced presence, intentional formation, committed community, and sacrificial minute mission. And Paul strenuously contends. The Greek word here is agonizomai. He agonizes. He presses with all of the strength that he has uh, towards this, to present all of us as fully mature in Christ. The word for mature here means complete or whole, without deficit. Our journey toward maturity isn't about doing a little bit better, resisting sin, or maybe feeling a little bit less anxious. It's not about having another verse memorized, checked off the list, or giving a little bit more money. No, maturity is all about allowing the Spirit of God to examine every area of our discipleship and to stretch us a little bit more so that we can become more fully formed followers of Jesus, complete, mature, and whole. And in Philippians 3, Apostle Paul, he, he doubles down on this. Here's what he writes. He says, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal. I mean, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. If anybody could say that they arrived, it would be him. But he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. 
Verse 17, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together then in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. The Apostle Paul says that here's actually the mark of maturity. It's I have not arrived. I'm not even close. I'm going to press on. I'm going to strive towards maturity. We never hit an acceptable level and then coast. We press on. We move towards completeness. And he says we do all of this together. We join together in following Paul's example and following the example of those who are mature in Christ. And so we keep, lear- we keep laboring. We keep striving to become the church that Jesus has called us to be, fully mature and integrated in presence and formation and community and mission. Do we understand the circles now? Yeah? Okay. Do we have any seminella? Everybody good? All right. Good. We did it. Okay. Now let's dive into that present circle just for the little bit of time that we have left, okay? On the night before Jesus goes to the cross, as he's sharing his final thoughts and instructions with his closest friends, this is what he tells his disciples in John chapter 14. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while, I, while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So as Jesus is preparing to die, he's reassuring his disciples that he would never leave them but that he would remain with them by sending the Holy Spirit, who Pastor Rich Volotis calls the radically accessible presence of Jesus, or Gordon Fee refers to as God's empowering presence. You see, the entire message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that God's desire is to be with his people. Jesus says that for everyone who responds to this invitation, my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home, our dwelling with them. What an extraordinary invitation from Jesus, right? The heart of Christianity is not a set of beliefs to, uh, a set of beliefs to affirm or a philosophy to agree with. It's not a set of rules to follow or 10 steps to a more fulfilled life. This whole thing is about a relationship with God, with a God who extends this invitation to all of his children. He says, I will love them, I will come to them, and I will make my home with them. The presence of God is at the very center of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the presence of God isn't an idea, it's an experience, it's an encounter. It's something that we feel and we notice and we receive. And and usually these encounters with the presence of God are really all about one thing, his love. When we encounter God's presence, 
we are experiencing an outpouring of the love of the Father in our lives. Here's what Paul writes in Romans 5. He says, For we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Did you guys know that one of the Holy Spirit's main jobs in the world today is to fill people's hearts with the love of the Father? Did you know that? Like sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as like a force, you know, or like some kind of special power to go and do things with. No, the Holy Spirit is the personhood of God. It's his personal presence. And it's come to fill us not just with power, but with the love of the Father. The Holy Spirit has been given to every follower of Jesus to fill us with the love of God. And so an encounter with the Holy Spirit results with us encountering God's love. So have you ever had that experience? Like, have you ever been overwhelmed by God's love in your life? Have you? Who has? Okay. You know what? Not everybody has, and, and that's okay. But I think that it's okay for us to also recognize that's specifically what the Bible tells us God wants to do. And so many of us have had these experiences in, like, conference-like settings, you know, some kind of charismatic experience where there's this heightened expectation, worship is just cranking, and suddenly the presence of the Holy Spirit overwhelms a room full of people. I love those experiences. Like some of my favorite moments, some of the most important moments of my life have been in contexts like that. But others may not be in that kind of setting. Some other people encounter the love of God in quieter places. For some, it's alone in the beauty of God's creation. Like not just the enjoyment of being in a beautiful place, but there's something about being alone in nature that unlocks your heart in a special way so that you can receive something from the Holy Spirit that other people get in other places. For others, you experience God's presence in the very quiet stillness of the morning, centering your heart before him, and you feel the warmth of his presence surrounding you and speaking to you as you breathe in that cup of coffee. Sometimes you can be sur surprised by the love of God, like, like his sudden, overwhelming presence. One of the moments in my life that caught me most off guard and that I most needed, and I come back to a lot, uh, was when my oldest son, Louis, um, he was a baby, not quite one years old, and he was admitted to Randall's Children's Hospital for six nights, and we had no idea what was going on in his body, uh, but we knew that it was bad and that he could die. And so for seven days, he was being run through all kinds of tests. And it was intense. This is our first and only child at that time. It was very scary. And towards the end of that, that time where we were staying in the hospital, after long nights and fasting and praying, and at times feeling totally numb and angry at God, I finally went to get Carly and me some Pine State biscuits for breakfast because sometimes it's the best therapy, <laughs> right? Some biscuits and gravy and bacon. And so, so I, I go to the restaurant, and as I'm walking out of this restaurant, I look across the street, and there's this church, and there's all of this music coming from inside. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's Sunday. I forgot. People are worshiping Jesus today. And so I kind of numbly just walked into the sanctuary while the middle of, in the middle of the service, and I just stood in the back, didn't greet a soul, and I just watched. And then I started to sing some familiar songs. And then suddenly, a stranger that I'd never met, I'd never even seen, he 
he put his hand on my shoulder. He stood behind me, and he just began to pray for me. And he prayed specifically that I would receive the love of the Father. And some of you can relate to this. It felt like warm gravy started to course through my veins, you know? Like this love, it just started to go through. I hadn't even had a biscuit yet. And I wept, and I wept, and I wept in the back of the sanctuary. I could physically and emotionally feel the love of God, and I could not control the response. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Like, that is a natural reaction in the middle of trauma. And sure, like, I'm with you. But God's presence overwhelmed me and met me in my trauma. And there was no, like, fancy lights or hyped-up music or anything. It was just the presence of the Holy Spirit pouring out the love of the Father. And then after 15 or 20 minutes or so, I stood up, walked out, took food to my wife. Because sometimes God just gives us what we don't even know that what we need in those moments. And all that's required on our part is openness. It's about opening up and receiving. And even though it's really just that simple, it's not always that easy. Because I don't know about you guys, but I am not particularly good at being open. I, like many other people, live in my head and analyze everything that I see. And if you are having an emotional moment with God, I will acknowledge that's cool, but I will also be watching <laughs> and observing and seeing, oh, did I not make this, did I make this an unsafe place suddenly? Sorry, everybody. And, and I think that a lot of my inability to feel the presence of God comes from having habitually quenched the spirit in my younger years. I, I remember at one point in my, when, when I was in my teens, I literally said to God that I don't want any of that stuff for myself because I was suspicious of some of the weirdness of my charismatic upbringing. And you know what? For years, God honored that request. But then he would give me little tastes and he would give me little glimpses of himself. And they changed my mind. Little touches that gave me a little bit hunger for a little bit more. And the presence of God and the love of God, it turns things from theoretical concepts to experienced reality so that we can end up like Job, who said this at the end of, his, of the book of Job, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Now, I, I imagine that in this room, there are people who are thinking, I can totally relate to that, Marshall. Like, I've had those experiences, but honestly, it has been a long time since that's happened to me. But I think I'd like another one of those experiences. That would be great. Or maybe others of you might say, like, I believe that that stuff happens, but it's never happened to me, and I'm not even sure I want it. Or maybe I don't even know if any of that emotional stuff is real. Like, I'm kind of a skeptic. And I think that we can acknowledge that in the room, all of those feelings exist right now. But how do we live with expectation and position ourselves to receive some of these kinds of encounters with God? How, and, and why does this stuff happen to some people but less so to others? I think that there's just a few key things that will help us to open ourselves up to be able to encounter God's love. Um, I know I'm going long, but let's just move quickly. The first thing is about, uh, the first key to opening yourself up to God's presence is simply humility. Recognizing that God is God and that we are not God. that Because every, every act of God is a sovereign act. He will not be coerced or forced into anything. God does whatever he pleases. 
But we can relax and we can trust God because he sees the desires of our heart for him and he is pleased to give us everything that we need. And humility can, be some, can sometimes be so difficult when it comes to the stuff the Spirit does. Often we might expect or demand that God does stuff on our terms, and then when it doesn't happen the way that we want it, we can slip into judgment. Judgment of others who seem to be experiencing that thing that we want, blaming others for not hungering enough and therefore not being open enough, judging the expression of a move of God in someone else, maybe even judging ourselves as unworthy, and therefore that's why God doesn't want to give me what I so desperately need. But humility, it makes a welcoming environment for God's presence. It's a recognition that all of this is a gift from our Father. Humility makes us open when the Spirit of God is moving in the room. Like, you don't need to fully understand everything that's happening in order to bless what God is doing in other people. You may even see or feel stuff that weirds you out a bit, and that's okay. Like, that's what we do. You don't need to understand it to bless what God is doing. Secondly, after, like, humility, we want to pay attention to the subtleties of the Spirit. That often when the Spirit begins to come on us, things kind of feel a little bit subtle. It might feel like a slight chill on your neck or heat in your hands. It might be a mental image that just pops into your mind that stirs some kind of emotional response. And in that moment, you can make a decision to either shut it down or to lean into it. And I think that some of the people in this room that are part of this community who have some of the biggest experiences with God are really just well-practiced at responding to the very subtle things of the Spirit. They sense when the Spirit is on them, and they just go with it. And I think that we also need to recognize that not all of us are going to have the same experiences as the other person next to us. And we shouldn't even try to force that same experience. For some, there is nothing better than having like a loud, big, roaring good time in worship on a Sunday morning. But others need a quieter space. They need to go for a walk in the wilderness and feel God out in the woods. Others might feel God's presence most when they're on the porch with their friends. Like they can feel the sacredness of a moment in community and they can lean into it and unlock something special for the entire group. We are not all the same. We don't all experience God in the same way. But we are all designed for a relationship with God that includes experiences or encounters in his presence. And as we walk towards greater maturity, we learn how to experience God in ways that are both familiar, but also learning how to lean towards things that are unfamiliar for us or different than what we've experienced before. We all learn a little by little like how to respond to the subtle promptings of the Holy Spirit as we grow in our encounters with him. And then finally, the third thing, that we practice yielding. That when you sense those subtle promptings of the Spirit, you have a choice as to whether to go deeper into it or to shut it down. Usually, it's a lot more comfortable to shut it down, isn't it? Anybody? Okay. Like, what if I look crazy? Has anybody ever thought that? Uh, I don't want people to see me cry. Is this real or am I making it up? I don't want to look foolish. Yielding is humility in action. It's trusting God's leadership that he only has good things for us. It's taking a risk and finding God even in the discomfort 
of weirdness. And that is not to say that we want weird just for weird sake. God is not more glorified in chaos or emotionalism. Amen? We still need wisdom in the midst of God's presence, but we simply practice being obedient to the God we know is active in our lives, and we yield to his subtle promptings. The manifestations of the Spirit are not the point at all. It's never about recreating some other experience that another person is having, and we need to guard ourselves from the temptation to hype ourselves into it. But in the vineyard, we have this incredible inheritance, great teaching and coaching on how to engage with the move of God's Spirit. And this is what we do. We dial all the way down so that we can be attentive to what the Spirit is saying and doing, and then we take a risk and we learn by doing, and we never, ever manipulate. That's who we are. We want to be hungry, we want to be humble, and we want to be hypeless. Maybe that should be a sermon series, or a t-shirt at least, right? Humble, hungry, hypeless. We want to gently and generously say that Everyone here is welcome in exactly the way that you experience God, whether it's loud and raucous or sloppy and quiet or gentle. It's for you because the Father loves you. And I believe that he puts all of it on the table for all of us.